Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. Today, we are going to take a look at Forge of Foes. Forge of Foes is a book that I wrote along with my two partners, Teos Abadia and Scott Fitzgerald Gray, that talks all about running monsters and offers you a whole bunch of tools and advice for running monsters in your 5th edition fantasy RPGs. Forge of Foes is available for sale right now on the Sly Flourish bookstore. You can find a link down in the show notes below. It is for sale mostly worldwide, certainly in North America and in Europe. Shipping socks. I know shipping socks. I'm really sorry on behalf of the international shipping industry. I apologize for the terrible, terrible costs of shipping. We are doing everything we can to try to get it as far as we can in the world, including putting up print-on-demand copies on Amazon and print-on-demand copies on DriveThruRPG in case those printers happen to be closer to where you live so then the shipping isn't so bad. The full offset printed hardcover version is by far the nicest version, but we are making print-on-demand versions available on these other platforms so that people can get it everywhere. So if you look at the Sly Flourish bookstore and the price is too high and you want to see, like, I, I, you can't afford it you don't you don't want to pay that much for shipping i completely understand take a look at amazon take a look at drive through and see if you can pick it up there drive through is not up yet as of the recording of this video amazon print on demand is available you can also get the pdf and if you like you can take the pdf copy go to a local printer like here in the states we have like kinko's slash fedex and you can say print me a copy of this in a nice spiral bound version they will do it pretty cheap and that'll get you a version and you don't have to pay an arm and a leg for shipping but the hardcover version is available pdf is available the pdf includes an epub version so you can put it on your kindle device you can put it on your phone it's very easy to read and lots of stuff we want to make sure to make it as accessible as possible so the digital version and if you buy it on the sly flourish bookstore you get the digital version and the hardcover version together in one package so you can check that out in the sly flourish bookstore so i'm not going to go through the whole book from like top to bottom and tell you everything that's in it instead i want to get across some of the main points and the main thoughts about what makes this book really special so the main thing I want to get you, like, why, why would you pick up Forge of Foes, particularly when there are so many different 5e monster books that are available? And the reason why is this book does not do, there is, as far as I know, no other book like this for 5th edition. Forge of Foes can fundamentally change how you run your 5th edition fantasy role-playing games by both simplifying and expanding one of the biggest areas that DMs and GMs have to do, which is running, building and running monsters. So when we think about 5th edition and how it runs and what you do at your table, a lot of the work that we do is going working with monsters, doing stuff with monsters, either building monsters or modifying monsters or finding monsters or running monsters. We're doing a lot of stuff with monsters. And it's one of the more mechanically complex areas of fifth edition there's also little holes and little gaps and little problems and little tricks that exist with running monsters in 5e so what scott and taos and i did is try to put a book together that did a couple of things one is giving you some table usable tips for how to build monsters very very quickly modify monsters very quickly benchmark the monsters that you already have and give you lots of advice to both understand how monsters work in fifth edition how you can run them different ways to run them different ways that you can change up your encounters and all kinds of stuff like that. So it is a book about how to build and run monsters for your fifth edition game. But really, it's a book that fundamentally changes how you can run fifth edition as a GM. And I know this because it changed how I ran it. 
I, I wrote this book with Scott and Teos, and I was surprised by how much it has fundamentally changed how I run 5th edition. I've now seen this over about a year where I've been running stuff, both switching back and forth, running Forge of Foes monsters, running monsters from traditional books, the little mix of both, going back and forth and trying things. And it has fundamentally changed how I run 5th edition for the better. It has made it much easier for me to run 5th edition games. It's made it much easier for me to improvise battles on the fly. Even really big, crunchy, complex battles are much easier for me to run when I have the tools that are available in Forge of Foes. And I think they can help you as well. We worked really hard to try to make a book that can do exactly that, that can help you run 5th edition monsters. Forge of Foes is a great example for me to use, even though it's my own book and it's my own philosophy too, that it's a really good book to show just how modular 5th edition can be. That 5e is an incredibly modular RPG system and that you can take big chunks of it and tear it away and drop in other chunks and replace them and make 5e into a game that is still fully compatible with itself yet runs completely differently than you're used to running. Forge of Foes is an example of that kind of modularity. Now, if you're not sure Forge of Foes is for you, I have very good news. You can get a 30-page sample. It's about a, about a quarter of the book is available for free. If you go to the Sly Flourish bookstore, you go to the Forge of Foes page, you can download a 30-page PDF for free, no login required. You don't have to give me your email address. You don't, I'll just click the link and you get the PDF. And it has the whole table of contents of the book and a bunch of sample chapters, including stuff that you can use at your table right now. One of the, one of the biggest parts of the book, we wanted to make sure we were giving that away so that people could use that at their table regardless of whether they bought the book or not the reason we were able to do this is because we had 7,000 kickstarter backers who backed our project for us gave us all the funding we needed in order to make the book which meant we could take some of the book and make it more widely available for people to use even if they couldn't afford or didn't want to pick up the book itself for example and i'm going to talk all about this the monster statistics monster statistics by challenge rating table which i think is a huge benefit to 5e overall not only are we giving it away in the sample chapter we actually made it available under a creative commons license so you can use this in your own products or develop your own tools or do whatever you want to take the the data the math that we put here and make it available in anything you want but the sample chapter has a lot more than that the sample the sample pdf has a lot more than that it really shows you the kind of material you are going to get in forge of foes so if you want to learn more if you want to read it yourself you don't want to just hear me rant about it. You can uh, go download the PDF and check it out. There is no reason not to. It's super easy. It's literally one click. You click it, you save it, you download it, you've got it. Take a look at it. If you love it and you love what you see, come back to the store, pick up the full book. So one question we often get from a lot of people are trying out a lot of different RPGs, a lot of different 5e systems, a lot of different D20 based systems. Uh, a lot of people are asking well, how, what percentage of the book fits in, in what mm, marker? A lot of people are asking what percentage of the book is specifically for 5e and what percentage of the book is available for other RPGs. And I will say conservatively, 70% of the book is available is useful if you're playing any sort of fantasy D20 game or even any other kind of fantasy game. A lot of the advice that we offer in here is things that are is universally useful for fantasy RPGs. Maybe even games that aren't fantasy RPGs. Maybe any RPGs. 
I'm conservatively saying 70%. I think it's probably more like 80. It really depends on how much you're willing to take an idea that we focused around 5e and change it slightly to fit whatever game system you happen to be running. But certainly 70% of it is general advice that is probably useful for any version of D&D in the past. Pathfinder, Fantasy Age... Shadow Dark, whatever your RPGs of choice, there's a lot of advice in here about how monsters relate to the story that we're telling that's going to be useful for you, whatever your fantasy RPG. So if your question is, I don't really run 5e, I run other RPGs, is it useful to me? The answer is yes. The answer is about 70% useful. That said, we definitely had 5th edition in mind when we wrote this book. So we didn't we didn't specifically set out to say we're going to write a bunch of chapters that aren't for 5e. We still had 5th edition in our mind when we were writing this book. So we so it certainly comes from that perspective. But I would say almost certainly 70% of the book is useful regardless of whatever tabletop role-playing game you're playing. Really, it, it could even be more depending on what ideas you're willing to take and turn. For example, monster powers. The ideas of those monster powers, the math isn't going to work out quite right, but slight tweaks to the math, you could take that monster power and drop it on a shadow dark monster you could drop it on a pathfinder monster you could drop it on a lot of different monsters so we broke down forge of foes in a style that's pretty similar to how return of the lazy dungeon master is broken out it was important to us to try to get the most specific table usable stuff in front of you in the beginning of the book as quickly as possible things that can really fundamentally change your game the kind of the heart of the book we wanted to get that right up front and then expand out into the larger thoughts and to the bigger ideas about how we think about monsters in general so you'll see we have a whole section called monster toolkits monster toolkits includes things and this is probably more fifth edition specific these are specific things that you can do to change how you're running fifth edition monsters in your game make them easier to run your monsters make it easier for you to build monsters on the fly or you, you can build monsters during your prep if you have specific monsters you want to create this gives you the toolkit for building those monsters but we wanted to make those tools easy enough to use that you could do it during the game you can improvise monsters at the table i've been doing this now for again about a year and it works and it works really it works it's it works so well it's kind of scary because i have all these monster books everywhere and i get scared about the fact that it's so easy now. I feel like I'm leaving stuff out, right? And it's not. Like, I talk to my players about it, and I'm like, hey, how'd you feel about these monsters compared to the other ones? Like, oh, I love these monsters, right? They, they still enjoyed them. We all had a really good time. So the monster toolkits is right up front, the tools that you're going to use to get your game. Tips and tricks. What are the, again, more table usable specific tips and tricks for how you run monsters? Again, I've been, I've been writing, Scott and Teos and I have been talking about this stuff for a long time. Different ideas that help you more effectively run monsters at your table. Stuff like lightning rods, stuff like how to role play monsters, reskinning monsters, how to run spell casting monsters, all that, you know, using NPC stat blocks, right? How you can use NPC stat blocks and change them so that your veteran isn't just always a human veteran maybe that veteran is a skeletal veteran or a zombie veteran or a ghoul veteran how you can change stuff like that then building encounters obviously a big part of 5e and probably one of the areas where 5e was weakest for the longest period of time and probably still is weakest if you look at the current D&D 2024 or 2014 rules for encounter building not real good. We have a whole section of the book that talks about how to build encounters, not just the math between by building different encounters, different types of tools that you can use to pick the ones that work easiest. We have a combat encounter checklist. We have different monster combinations for uh, hard challenges. I'll show that. We have the lazy encounter benchmark, of course, the most current 
iteration of the lazy encounter benchmark that includes things like what's the largest any single monster should be that is included in here we have a list of monster adventure monsters by adventure location we have different locations what are the kinds of monsters that you would find there which also shows you which monsters tend to relate to other monsters in a really nice simple table all kinds of stuff that we talk about for how to build engaging environments building and engaging encounters how to challenge high level characters all the kinds of stuff that you find that can be tricky and then we have uh, monster discussion and philosophy this is really where you get into the larger thoughts about how monsters relate to our games how the whole idea of challenge rating where did it even come from what is that like over the various editions of DD? what did what does challenge rating even really mean this is something i've done a video on this i've had an article on this and i got to write a chapter on this what makes a great monster how do you balance mechanics and story something that was really interesting because we came to this book with three different perspectives and three different angles on this topic and we didn't shut down any one voice all of us got to speak so throughout the book you'll see we had one generally speaking we had one central author on each section and then the other two would leave breakout boxes to say actually this is how mike does it or actually this is how scott does it or how teos does it all of these breakdown boxes inside the book itself so that you can get these different perspectives and different point of views Figure out which one fits you and what you like and use those use those ideas. Romancing the monsters. Where do monsters come from? Anti-colonial play. We were very happy to add a chapter about how to break down a lot of the stereotypes of how monsters fit in our traditional fantasy RPGs. All orcs are a bunch of, you know, savage, you know, stoop foreheaded, bloodthirsty jerks. And all goblins are black hearted little thieves. We can eliminate that from our game and the games are better for it. We have a whole chapter about how to break down these damaging stereotypes that exist in our role-playing games and change them into a game that's far richer, far more interesting and better and you know, just, just plain better. So all different kinds of philosophy that we have like that in our, in our book. And all of this packages together to go from a very specific table usable stuff to the general philosophy of monsters across the entire spread of the book. One of the core fundamental things that we coalesced around while building this book was how can you build a monster very quickly that runs really well at the table based on all of the experience that we've had in the past 10 years running fifth edition games, but then also on the combined centuries worth of experience that Scott and Teos and I have having run fantasy role playing games. What can we do to make it very fast, very simple, very easy to build a monster on the fly, modify an existing monster that you have, benchmark monsters that you're running from other books, and come out with something that's going to run really well. So we came up with a whole system called Building a Quick Monster, and it's got a few steps to it, but boy, you can you can rip through these steps super, super fast, fast enough that you can run monsters, you can build a monster on the fly at your table with hardly any work at all. Like not, you know, You might not even need to write down the stats, you can just keep the book in front of you and read it right off. And that is this table, the monster to monster statistics by challenge rating table. This is available in the book. Of course, it is available in the free sample chapter and it's available under a creative commons license. I'll link to all of those. And this table gives you all of the stats that you need to quickly build a monster. It's going to be a very straightforward generic monster without any new abilities or out any specific things. And that might go, well, that's boring. Like there's just a stat block or that's just a bunch of stats. It's a big bag full of hit points. I'll get to that. We'll talk. We'll talk about that. Don't, don't hang on to that thought and we'll talk about it. 
So it's very similar to actually the table that's inside the Dungeon Master's Guide, except it's far more specifically usable. A, it is not a mimic of the Dungeon Master math. It actually comes from a whole variety of different sources that we looked at, including looking at thousands of monsters and the stats for those thousands of monsters other people's work, like the work of Paul Hughes from Blog of Holding and the work that he did for Level Up Advanced 5e, we took a look at that. We took a look at the Dungeon Master's Guide, but then we also took a look at what real monsters are doing. Both, we looked at monsters that were published by Wizards of the Coast for Dungeons and Dragons, and then we looked at monsters that were developed by other other companies as well, companies like Cobalt Press, companies like Level Up Advanced 5e, and we looked at specifically what are all the math, what's the math of this like? Put it together in a bunch of big piles of spreadsheets, lots of thoughts, lots of regression analysis, all kinds of stuff we did to try to get not just a set formula, there is a set for formula in here, but you'll notice that the, the, the stats in here don't follow specifically a set formula. They are close. And what we wanted to try to do was normalize the expected threat of a monster at any given challenge rating. So what was interesting when we looked at all of the math for all of these different things, you'll notice that the math that the Dungeon Master's Guide uses is very different from the math that the actual monsters in the 2014 Monster Manual use, for example. Some monsters just hit way above their CR, and some monsters hit way below their challenge rating. They're all over the place. Some of that is due to the, the, the weighting of the different powers of monsters, but some of it's just plain and what we want to do, we, we also noticed that even among the power ranges of different challenge ratings, that there were sometimes there were dips or sometimes there were little hills that in certain circumstances, some monsters were just more powerful than the other. The challenge rating one half, for example, there are some just really deadly CR one half monsters. And if you were to take the general math of a CR one half monster and scale it out to like CR 19, they'd be doing like two to four times more damage than they're actually doing. So when we built this, we kept all of that in mind and we wanted to make a smooth progression curve for the amount of threat that a monster provides at a given challenge rating and then we wanted to make that in a table that you could just directly use for example one thing we added we had a lot of discussion about this was an equivalent character level so if you were to just say an etten is equivalent to a character at a certain level what level would that be and the etten would be equivalent to a level nine character yeah, i brought up the ogre before right the ogre is a five Right, fifth level characters, roughly equivalent in power to an ogre. So this gives you a direct line, especially for monsters up to about CR 13, because above that, they're more powerful than any single character. We have an armor class and difficulty class. Uh, so this is the, or, or yeah, we have an armor class and difficulty class. We have an armor class and difficulty class. This is a very quick one. You can decide, especially for armor class, to base the AC of a monster on the story of that monster. Are they heavily armored? Are they lightly armored? Because 5th edition has a relatively flat progression curve on things like AC, you can actually choose your AC based on the monster. But if you don't really want to, and you just want to pick a general AC, you don't feel like changing that, or you don't want to change it until you actually need it, uh, you can just pick an AC based on the challenge rating of the monster and go with that. DC is going to be more specific and almost certainly a monster's DC is going to fit that is going to is going to be linearly connected to its challenge rating. Hit points are the same way that the hit points of the monster 
are going to scale pretty linearly with challenge rating. One thing we decided to do, we worked on this a while, and what we realized is like finding the exact right hit points for a different challenge rating monster was too hard. So we did add a range in there. And the range can give you an idea that within a certain challenge rating, monsters may, depending on other things they have, may have lower hit points or higher hit points. So we put that in this column. We have an average amount and then a parentheses with sort of a low and a high amount of hit points that a monster might have at any given particular challenge rating. The proficient ability bonus is not the proficiency bonus. This was really hard for us. We wanted to have one stat. It is the equivalent of a monster's ability bonus that also has proficiency included. Typically, you're going to see this for like a monster's attack roll. You're going to see it for a monster's number one saving throw. You're going to see it for a spellcasting monster's spellcasting attack bonus. That is their highest bonus. Now, we didn't include stuff for like medium and low bonuses because of the flat math. You really, there isn't a good mathematical equation to figure out what their low and medium bonuses. Instead, you're going to have to base that on the monster and the story of the monster. Like how good is a wizard at a constitution saving throw? Probably pretty bad. So you're like, maybe it's between like zero and two. There isn't really a column you can take, but we talk about that in the text here. The damage per round is the total amount of damage that that monster can do in a round. So you can divide that up however you want. The one thing to keep in mind is that if the monster is hitting multiple targets, you would want to have the amount of damage. So let's say you had like a, a, a CR9 fire-breathing construct, and it's going to hit multiple targets. The amount of damage that you would have at CR9, you wouldn't have it do 59 damage. You would instead have that to about 24. And when it breathed out, it would breathe 24 points of damage on its thing, on the assumption that that was the one amount of damage it did, because really it's going to hit more than one target, so you don't do the full 59. Then we break that down further into a recommendation for a number of attacks and the amount of damage per attack. You can change this however you want. I actually change this pretty frequently. Sometimes a monster will attack three times and I'm like, ah, I'm going to do it two instead. So you can choose the number of attacks and damage. You just have to do the, the, change the math a little bit. But we offer a recommendation of how many attacks a monster does and how much damage that monster attack uh, does. We include the average plus the die roll, of course, but you can always break it back down to the damage per round and change the number of attacks, particularly if they do like one big burst, you can go back to your damage per round. That's why we included both. If you need to deconstruct your monster back down to the total amount of damage it does per round so that you can change the amount of damage it does. If it has like an aura or it's got small attacks and big attacks, you can change that up. But if you don't need that and you're like, I just want a monster to do a certain number of attacks, a certain amount of damage, we have that there. And then the example 5e monsters give you an idea about what kind of monster you might expect for that given challenge rating. And it gives you a good way to gauge if you're going to be building a monster on the fly, you can ask yourself something like, well, compared to a mage or a wyvern, how powerful is this monster I have? And this is the only good way to use challenge rating is to understand how that challenge rating relates to other monsters of different challenge rating. It's the reason why we have this table in here. You can tell, like, is my monster as powerful as an Etten? Is it as powerful as an adult white dragon? Is it as powerful as a dire wolf? Or is it above or below a dire wolf, right? And from that, and, and you're thinking about that from the story perspective, not from the statistics standpoint, but from the story. Does the story of my creature speak to it being more powerful than a dire wolf? If so, then it's above CR1. Is it more or less powerful than an Efreeti? If it's below that, then you say, okay, it's lower than a CR11. If it's above that, it's higher than a CR11. It gives you a way to pick your challenge rating because deciding what challenge rating your monster should be is hard because challenge rating doesn't really mean anything. 
There's no actual good solid definition of what a challenge rating is other than how one monster compares to another. There's that loose description of a monster challenge is roughly equivalent to like an easy or medium fight against four characters of that level. But not really, because the action economy is going to be so against that monster that that it, that monster is way under. If you were to take a monster of a certain challenge rating and make it the equivalent of four characters, those four characters are going to destroy it. So really, it's higher than that. So if it's higher than that, then what does that mean? Well, that's why it's like it's easier to just not associate challenge rating with character level, even though we do it here. It gives a rough estimate, but that's one monster per character. And instead, you compare it to other monsters. And you think about the story of that monster. Is this creature more or less powerful than a Medusa? If it is more powerful, it's higher than CR6. If it is less powerful, it's less than CR6. If it's roughly the equivalent of Medusa, you have your CR6. So this table is really like a fundamental cornerstone of Forge of Foes, but also about how to quickly build monsters at your table. And to give you an example of how we use this, one of the things that I built was a tool. So we, we offered up the data from this table uh, in the Creative Commons. And one of the things that I created for using the Creative Commons license is a Forge of Foes monster stats tool. This is available to patrons of Sly Flourish. You can become a patron down in the show notes. Patrons help me so much by helping me put on shows like this and by helping me with all kinds of other projects that I'm working on. And one of the things that I gave back to them was a very simple simple it's downloadable like you can download this html page and it includes all the javascript in it to run it and you can get a stat block for any monster of any challenge rating you want that cr6 you go to cr6 and you've got all of those stats one of the things that a patron recommended was a one-line stat block that you can copy and paste so you can take that and you can paste it directly into your notes so you have a single line stat block that you can drop right in your notes i've been using this a lot i've been using it for some very complicated battles where you have lots of different kinds of monsters and boy is it nice to just have the stats on one line in my notes so I don't have to go through a whole bunch of stat blocks and flipping pages and everything like that. I know what the baseline stats are and then I can use a lot of flavor for how they go. This uh, stats by challenge rating isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. You can just go with the stats here and then use flavor and use story to, de to define what a monster is like in the game. But a lot of GMs are saying like, well, the last thing in the world I want is a, is a boring monster that just makes four attacks and doesn't do anything else. And that's why this is the beginning of the story. This gives you the baseline stat blocks. But if you want to do things like, well, how is an aberration different from an undead creature or how is a draconic creature different from a beast there is a whole set of different templates monster type templates that you can drop in on top of your monsters to define them as being different aberrations are different than beasts what does a being a celestial mean what does a construct mean and each of these have some core traits that are associated with that monster and then some specific power specific actions that those that those creatures can take that define how they what what an ab being an aberration means in the battle itself in many cases we offer different ones uh, an example is the aberration can do a grasping tentacles as a reaction when a creature hits with an attack they sprout tentacles that grasp the target we have math e equations in here so that those powers will scale across the entire challenge rating so you can make really powerful aberrations that are grabbing people like crazy you can make smaller ones that are doing smaller things and we have like a dominating gaze a creature could could stare at somebody and dominate you know dominate them with a with a view beasts have like hit and run and empowered carnage many of them have have i think maybe all of them have two different powers that you can associate to any given monster type so 
This right here lets you take a core monster stat block, add on this type and pick one of those powers. And now you have a meatier, richer monster that you can run directly at your table with just picking a few things. And again, you really don't need anything more than the book itself. You could have the book sitting next to you. You pick your challenge rating, maybe jot it down on a three by five card, pick what type of monster it is, write in the thing that you think it will do and off you go. Now, all of these are modular. So even though they're tied to like certain powers are associated with like elemental or fiend, you are not bound by that you can take the fiend one and put it on your elemental creature you can take one of the aberration ones and add it to a monster that has nothing to do with aberrations you just think it fits the theme of the monster so all of these powers can be used in different ways and different combinations to build the kind of monster you want very very quickly we also in this chapter have what we call common monster powers. these are powers that aren't necessarily tied to the type of monster but are common things that you will see like damaging auras weapons that do elemental damage defender things a whole slew of commonly used monster powers that you can associate with a monster real quickly. This is just a taste though. This is in the sample chapter, so you can get this by looking at the sample chapter, but this is just a taste of a much more expanded section on monster powers that we have in the book. Teo Sabadia did a tremendous, excellent job designing dozens and dozens i don't know if it's a hundred it's a whole lot of monster powers that you can take that expand monsters in all kinds of different ways again broken up by category types so you can pick the kind of power that you want to associate to a monster tons of them with this book you can make i don't want to say infinite because it's not infinite is a really big number but you can make thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of different kinds of monsters that all behave very differently at the table at all different challenge ratings of play so here's a chapter that's another example of how we try to take problems and come at them from different angles so that there's sort of different ways to use them. And one of them is this first chapter has this big table that breaks monsters down all the way from CR0 to CR30, from the smallest rat all the way to the biggest demigod are available in one table. But you probably don't need every single one of those stat blocks or one of those lines and instead could use just a handful of general use stat blocks. So we created a set of stat blocks at common breakpoints where monsters are most useful for different situations. So we have minions at CR18 and we have a very quick stat block for a minion. This is laid out much more like a traditional 5th edition stat block is laid out. You'll notice they don't have any special powers or anything like that. You would still be expected to add traits or powers to fill out the monster more if you want to again if you're good with just the straight stat block and you just want to use flavor you can absolutely do that i do that very often very often i'll either improvise powers as i need them or i for especially for creatures that aren't really like the central part of the story they're just extra creatures that are out there doing stuff i don't really have to give them a whole wide range of stuff that they do i can usually just use a straight stat block and work them out we chose these because they have the widest range of usefulness across the widest range of play from first to 20th level for character levels and that's because like you can use cr 18th minions through a good chunk of the early part of the game before you no longer need them. So we had these like common breakpoints for monsters that we thought were most useful across the widest range of the game. We have CR18 minions, CR1 half soldiers, CR2 brutes, CR4 specialists, CR7 myrmidons, CR11 sentinels, 
and CR15 champions. Now you're like, well, what about the CR20s and 30s and stuff like that? By the time you get higher than CR15, you're not going to want to just use a general stat block like this. You're probably going to want to fill that out with more information. So we're like, it isn't really particularly useful to have monsters at challenge ratings higher than 15 because these are really intended to be sort of your alternate cast. These are the monsters that are going to be in the background that are still harassing the characters and running around and doing stuff. The ones that aren't important enough to have a whole lot of details in how they operate, but are still important enough to have on the table because you want more monsters on the table. For each of these, we talk about where this particular stat block is going to fit and what role it can fit in a particular battle. For example, we say like the Myrmidon. A Myrmidon can serve as a boss monster for 5th level, an elite combatant against two characters of 7th level, or a one-on-one -on -one combatant against a 14th level character, or in large groups against 20th level characters. So it tells you what's the range how, how many of these monsters are going to be typical given different, different ranges of character abilities or different, different ranges of character levels. And so you'll see that all throughout. The Brute, I, I always love the Ogre. The Ogre is roughly the Brute. A Brute can serve as a boss against second level characters, an elite foe against two fourth level characters, or a one-on-one -on -one opponent at fifth level, or in large groups against 10th level, right? So that shows that the CR2 Brute stat block is valuable all the way from second level to 10th level. Right at that point, it's going to become like the brute is going to be really. You could even go beyond tenth level, right? Large numbers of at tenth level or above. So you could still throw tons of brutes at people. One of the ones that I really like, the specialist stat block, I have used for like an entire campaign. Right, I've had like the specialist stat block in my Empire of the Ghouls campaign, and I've been using it nonstop, and because it has this perfect range, right, this perfect range of it serves as a boss monster for fourth level characters, an elite opponent versus two fifth level characters, a one on one combatant for tenth level characters, or in large groups against sixteenth, fourth to sixteenth level. It's twelve levels of play, which is really like the bulk of a campaign. That specialist stat block works really well against for, for all of those for all those abilities. So these stat blocks very very handy. So one of the other ways that you can use this book is not just to build monsters on the fly, although it's really easy to do so. I've been doing it and I love it. I'm, 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 it just, it's changed how I run 5th edition. It's made 5th edition so much easier for me to run by using this stuff. But one of the other ways that you can use it is to benchmark monsters from either older versions of D&D or even existing versions of D&D to see how the power lines up. So an easy way to do it is like if you're running an old second edi first, or first edition or second edition adventure and you see a monster in there, you can kind of look at its hit dice. The hit dice is sort of like CR, kind of, but maybe not. And you can look at that particular monster and then ask yourself, you, you look at the monster and you look at like what kind of role it fits in that adventure. Then you compare it to these example fifth edition monsters to say, okay, well, where does it fit in this line? And if it's there then you have your stat block and then you can add your powers from the other sections of this book to kind of fill out that monster you can even look at like well what powers did it have in first or second edition then what powers can i pull from here that are similar to that one and build yourself this kind of old school version with new mechanics for your fifth edition game so it works really well for converting monsters from other adventures other systems older systems you can use this to easily convert your monsters over from those systems into your fifth edition games the other one it can do is it can it can actually give you an idea of what the benchmark is or at least our benchmark for it one thing i should point out about our benchmark our benchmark hits a little hard so the monsters here they they might surprise you 
by hitting particularly hard. The reason why is that when we calculated the challenge rating out, we calculated it because they don't have any additional powers. Now, I don't feel like when you add an additional power, the monster is so far outside of its CR that it's worth recalculating the challenge rating of the monster. I think it's okay that they hit a little hard because for the most part, monsters are weaker than their challenge rating would dictate when you look at various encounter building guidelines and stuff like that. So we also know that 5th edition is starting to move, especially this year, uh, is moving to offering more character power, feats at first level, feats that actually offer more than just an ability bonus and feats that are now offering an ability bonus and some other kind of ability on top of it. So characters are starting to grow in power a bit. So we thought it's probably okay that these monsters uh, are, are a little bit tougher. And when I say tougher, it's actually in damage output. The damage output of these monsters is a little higher. In particular, you'll find that the damage output for creatures of like 5th to 15 CR, those have gone up. In fact, higher CR monsters overall, their damage has gone up because we felt like those monsters are the ones that, that were running ten, tended to not put as much of a threat on the board as they should given their challenge rating. We were more conservative about damage numbers for lower challenge monsters because, as I mentioned, like CR1 halves, there are times where CR1 halves are doing crazy amounts of damage. We cut like the CR1 half down to doing eight damage per round. There are CR1 half monsters that do 12 to 15 damage. It's just crazy how powerful they are. So in that case, we made sure that our lower CR monsters are not going to TPK your level one party. But the higher the CR goes, like I said, I mentioned the CR4 and the idea that CR4s are doing 28 damage, that is going to feel like a lot right the cr4 in particular is where that the, the, the damage gets kicked up and cr4s can be particularly dangerous i've seen my players go oh, how much did he hit me for but it didn't tbk them but they were significantly more dangerous and you'll see that across the the, the higher range of, of of challenge ratings as well you get to cr30s where they're doing 312 damage per round stuff like that but if you're fighting a cr30 you should be getting hit for 312 damage around but you can use these to benchmark 5e monsters and ask yourself are the monsters that are in this published book are those hitting at their right weight class or not if not how should i change them should i add more monsters should i tweak their abilities should i do this stuff i'll tell you though a lot of time what i find is i take the flavor of the monster that i found in the book and i just use the stat block and add a thing and i'm done maybe you can use the power that you see that a particular monster has but you're like i'm just going to use the forge of foes stat line and 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 use those to replace the stat block that's in there and then use whatever abilities they have that works really really well i I have found. But it's a good way to benchmark your existing monsters. I mentioned that we have a whole separate chapter in this book on monster powers. It has tons and tons of different powers that are broken out by all kinds of different stuff. Aberrant powers, you can see we've got a whole bunch. Bestial powers, charming and fey, constructs, draconic powers, elemental powers, leadership powers, uh, straight up magic, necromancy, plants and poison, roguelike powers, and solo powers, and warrior powers. A whole bunch of different kinds of powers that you can grab and throw onto your monsters. So between this one and the quick monster builder, you have dozens and dozens of different powers that you can grab. They're, they're meant to be just plucked out and dropped on your monster. A lot of people have missed the idea of monster roles. How do we know what job a monster is supposed to do in a given battle? And in this one, we added in descri descriptions of what you can expect for a different monster role. Ambushers are artillery, bruisers, controllers, defenders. Now, what this does is it changes up the tactics of a battle. If you're into sort of tactical combat and you want to have an idea of like what kinds of powers and what kinds of things different monsters would be doing in a given role, this one tells you how you can apply roles to existing monsters that don't have them. 
And then, of course, we talk about bosses and solos and minions. Another thing was you have multiple ways of having minions or uh, hordes of monsters. We cover a, a few different ways that you can run monsters where you can run dozens to hundreds of monsters in one battle. And then reinforcing roles with powers. There's a whole section on roles with powers. What are ambusher powers, artillery powers, bruiser powers, controller, leader, defender, skirmishers. So all kinds of different specific powers that relate to those roles that you can put on a monster to make it act in a really interesting way in your, in your, in your game. This is one of my favorite chapters. The lazy tricks for running monsters is just a very simple two page thing that talks about like how to just really quickly grab on and run monsters. It's got some of my little favorite tricks that I've been running in my own games. Uh, it's got quick monster stats. So if you don't want to have the whole table in front of you, although fr frankly, getting that table, printing it out and putting it in front of you is a really good thing to do. But if you want some loose math that's close to what we have in that table, but is a simple equation, we have this quick monster stats that you can whip up. We have 10 useful monster features. These are like the powers, but these are like 10 very specific ones that you can kind of grab that are going to have a big effect. Things like up damaging blast damage reflection misty step knockdown a restraining grab damaging burst cunning action damaging auras or energy weapons and damage transference i i this is one that i got in here which is how to convert dice to the average damage or the average damage back to dice we have a whole section that lets you do average damage to dice or dice to average damage in a nice easy to use table and we have other lazy monster tricks that you can use just to make monsters make running monsters easier this is always my big thing how do we make the game easier to run Tons of advice that we have in this game, understanding the action economy, lightning rods, my, my idea of highlighting character abilities by putting monsters in that are specifically designed to eat those abilities, modifying monsters during, before and during play, which is a lot of how you can use this book. Running monsters in the theater of the mind, a personal project of mine. We have another angle on it in here. How to role play monsters, reskinning monsters. Why are high CR monsters weak? We have a whole section that talks about that issue. Running minions and hordes. I mentioned that we have a few different ways of running minions and hordes. We have a few different tools that you can use to run minions and hordes in here. You can kind of pick whichever ones you want uh, to run them. How to run spell casting monsters. Using NPC stat blocks that these inherently reskinnable NPC stat blocks that you find. Bosses and minions. This was our way of kind of saying which creatures tend to have which other creatures serving them as minions and where might they be operating really handy table to tell you like okay at a boss cr we have an etten who might be in a mountains ruins and caves and ettens might be served by ogres and orcs really kind of neat way to tie different monsters to other monsters in a very simple uh, table how to evolve monsters what happens when they grow and get bigger a combat encounter checklist. If you want to make for a really rich encounter, really rich combat encounter, what are all of the different things that you consider to make that big encounter useful? This isn't for every encounter. It's just for great big encounters, but it's really handy. Gives you a good idea to make a battle that is going to be exciting for the players that you're running. So I mentioned that we take things from different angles. And one of them was I have the lazy encounter benchmark, which I find to be the most straightforward, loose way of giving a general gauge of how difficult a battle might be for a given set of characters. But I know that there's other ways that we can slice this. And so Scott and Teos and I, this is one of the areas where, boy, we, we worked for months on this. And it was setting up tables for different characters, different numbers of characters at different levels to tell you what kind of monster and what number of monsters 
uh, are a good fit for characters of a given level. And it includes different scenarios like one boss and two monsters, a boss and three monsters, a boss and four underlings, or a boss, two lieutenants, and eight minions. So you can say, I have four characters of 12th level. I want to have a boss, two lieutenants, and eight minions. And you go here and you have the boss CR is going to be seven. The, uh, the lieutenants are going to be CR four and the minions will be CR one and there'll be eight of them. And that gives you a, just a quick baseline of like how many I'm going to throw out here. I, of course, I have a little section like you don't want to hang on to this too high, too tight. Different character capabilities are going to have a big effect on this. So you might not find that, oh, this is always going to be a hard challenge. Depending on the monsters and the circumstances, it could end up being easy and you can tweak this up or down. But it gives you a good baseline that you can pick at any given challenge rating. We do it for four characters, for five characters, and for six characters. So if you have six characters of CR 15 and you want to have one monster, it'd be CR 24. If you want to have two monsters, it's CR 18. Four monsters would be CR 11. Six monsters would be CR 8. Eight monsters would be CR 6. And 12 monsters for six characters would be CR 4. Uh, and again, if you want to have like one boss and four underlings at CR 14, be a CR 13 plus uh, four CR 8s would be a bo you know, boss and four underling challenge. So another angle to take. You have the Lazy Encounter benchmark, which gives you one answer. You have this, which gives you another. We went back and forth on this because it's really hard. What we did is we, we kind of built out the models and then looked at them and then we ran different we would spot check it and say like okay if you really have six 10th level characters is this really a hard challenge or not or is this going to be a deadly challenge or is this going to be too easy and we went back and forth a lot and we tweaked it constantly it was really hard lazy encounter benchmark of course and the modifications to the benchmark include the cr cap for a single monster that's really the big difference that you find in here from the one that was like in the lazy dm's companion monsters by adventure location different adventure locations that you will find different levels what monster might be in there and what other kinds of creatures might be associated we thought that this was a really neat way and actually a friend of mine showed me a cookbook that did this where it said if you have different ingredients that you have what are the different dishes that you can make with different ingredients and it was fascinated by this thank you sharon for this idea fantastic idea so he said, what can we do to have locations, different levels of like when the characters are there and then what monsters might be there and what other monsters might be associated with them all in one big view. And that was the view that we have here. So this is a whole other way of looking at what kinds of monsters fit, what kinds of locations and what other monsters might be with them. The latter third of the book is when we get into a lot of the sort of essays to help you understand how to maximize the fun of running different monsters, different encounters, different situations, and at your, at your table. All different angles. Again, advice from all three of us. Bunch of different essays to help you really get your hands around all of the different ways that monsters can affect the game that we run. I really like this one. The 15 engaging environments, the slip and slide. This is one of Teos's chapters. The slip and slide, the alchemy lab, vertical access, shifting floors, step lightly, crypt shortcut, down to earth, white water, controlled environment, fire brigade, stay dry, marketplace brawl. These are all different ways to change up the environment that the, your encounter is taking place in to make it feel different than everything else that you've run. Uh, and again, these are examples of the kinds of environments you could use these directly, but they can also inspire you to come up with your own interesting environments. Exit strategies. One thing that a lot of people talk about is you don't want to just have every battle be a battle to the death. You want to have sometimes where the point of a battle is not to defeat your foes, but to do something else. This describes what are different things that you might want to do or that you could do in a given battle so that the goal of the battle isn't just wiping out the other side. Can we just talk ins and outs, side routes, safe havens, cutting off the head, alternative rewards, assessing motivations. 
I love this one. The clock beating up the dude. That poor guy. That guy looks in a bad way. I think that's a Matt Morrow piece. It's one of my favorite pieces. Ali, Ali Briggs's piece. We have two fun chapters in here. One is about choosing monsters based on the story, and the other one is building stories around monsters. We thought it was fun that, like, Teos and I would take these two different alternating views of how you can come to the idea. The idea of, like, when you have the story of the game, you pick the monsters that fit the story. You don't necessarily base the monsters on what level the characters are or what kind of challenge you want to provide. But then the other one was looking at the monsters themselves and saying, how am I going to take these monsters that I think are really cool and I'm going to run and build the story around them to expand them out in your game? I thought it was a really fun way that we have two not exactly contrary points of view, but two different ways of angling in on the same the same idea. Really fun to do. Really fun to do. Really fun to talk about. Anti-colonial play was a chapter we all thought was important to put in here because how we look at our fantasy RPGs has changed over time. And you look at some of the stuff that was built into the game in the earliest days of the game, and two things. One pretty problematic and too boring and we thought you know let's look at how we can take a lot of the concepts that can break down colonial play and make the game better at the same time and i think that that is really important that not only are you making your game better and more widely accepted overall and bringing more people into the hobby that would otherwise be pushed out of the hobby but you are also making the game more fun there are times where pretty much any sentient creature when you look at it from any given angle Turns out you can go the other way. And I'll give you another hint. That's been in the game for 50 years as well. There have been plenty of times where it turns out that there's sentient undead that you actually want to work with instead of against. That there are groups, you know, there are orcs that are fighting the good fight instead of the bad fight. This kind of anti-colonial play has been in the game in different variations in different areas for as long as we've been playing it. But we still sometimes hang on to these tropes like and again, the 2014 monster manual is a good example of this where orcs are all stoop headed, brutish, bloodthirsty killers and goblins are all black hearted little thieves. And you're like, that's so boring. You know what's not boring? Eberron, where it turns out the orcs are the ones that got the Dalekur, these these hideous otherworldly world eating entities and kept them at bay with the orc shaman. And the goblins had one of the richest, most powerful and most progressive societies before the current groups have taken over so there are it just makes your game better so we have a whole good section that talks about what are we talking about here how do you look at these things and what are the practical things you can do to make your game more interesting and better at the same time so it's a really good chapter i'm, I'm very proud of it being in this book and i think it can it can really help and we've gotten a lot of good feedback about it so I hope you have enjoyed this 35 minute long, 12 minute video uh, diving into Forge of Foes. Uh, myself and Scott Gray and Teos Abadia probably put a year and a half of our effort into this book. We poured ourselves into this. We met every Friday. We wrote like crazy. We threw our stuff around to each other. We debated. We argued. We laughed. We worked together. We did all kinds of amazing stuff uh, to try to bring you what I feel like uh, is the best monster book that exists for 5e. I think it is the most practical book for 5e. I think that it gives you the widest range of material to be able to change how you run 5th edition in ways that are tremendously valuable, all from making it far easier to play and a far richer experience for you and your players to play. I, and I hope you agree. If you enjoyed this video, please check out Forge of Foes at the Sly Flourish bookstore. You can find a link down in the show notes to pick it up. Check out the free 30-page sample, and if you like it, please pick up the book. Thank you so much. Have a great day, and get out there and play an RPG.